Order up. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Matter of Taste Cleveland. Today we're going to be talking about something from day one that we knew we'd get to. That is cheese. I I love cheese. I think you've told me that you have a strong fondness for cheese as well. I don't know many people who don't love cheese in some form or shape. I'm really bummed that I couldn't be in on this conversation um, with the cheese shop because I do have a lot of questions about cheese. There's, there is a lot to learn. You know, I think you think of it as this melty, salty goodness, but there are so many levels to it. Well, I fall into a routine when I'm grocery shopping. There's like four kinds of cheese that are probably always in my fridge. Feta, goat cheese, some cheddar, and probably some like a Mexican mix. Um, but there are hundreds and hundreds of kinds of cheeses. And this week we thought it would be enlightening to go and talk with Lisa Seppi at the cheese shop at the Westside Market because they are very talkative about their cheeses. They love to uh, educate folks. And it was a, it was kind of a fun conversation to, to sit down with her and, and learn a little bit. Um, it's sort of the other end of the spectrum of something that I, I started thinking about when we were talking about doing a cheese episode. And the the phrase government cheese popped into my head. And I, is that a familiar term to you at all? No, I've never heard about that. Okay, so when I was growing up in the, in like the eighties, there was a there was a thing. It was government cheese, and I did a little research to figure out well what made government cheese cheese. And thank you, internet, for steering me to a History Channel article by Aaron Blakemore, who who points out that the reason there was government cheese it goes back to like the nineteen forties when there was a um, Agricultural Act of 1949 that helped the dairy farmers and that carried through until there were problems in the 70s where there was a shortage of dairy products. And so the dairy prices went way, way, way up. So Jimmy Carter sunk $2 billion into the dairy industry. And all of a sudden, there was so much dairy product that they didn't know what to do with all that that milk, basically. So the government started taking it and they made it into cheese, into butter, into dehydrated milk powder. And the stockpile hit over 500 million pounds of cheese, and it was stored in warehouses in 35 states. So that was the end of the Carter administration. Reagan takes office, and people are talking about, look, we got people starving in America, and you got this cheese literally rotting in warehouses. So he made a pledge to start giving out 30 million pounds of cheese. And eventually, that wound up being 300 million pounds of cheese that went out. So a lot of people growing up who had financial challenges growing up, um, had government cheese as part of what they ate, and they had a fondness for it. And today, it actually, you can still find government cheese. If you go to Wahlburgers, a little plug for them, they put government cheese on one of their burgers because people have a either a nostalgic or a, almost a humiliated feeling when they think about this cheese or they have it again, but it is popular. And I've had the burger recently, and it's not quite like any other cheese, actually. It's not bad. Uh, it's just the way it coats the burger and, and the way it feels in your mouth as it's melted. It's it's good, but it is an experience, and it is something that rings with people who who are of that era. And uh, as I was showing you the article, it mentioned something at the end. Did you catch that at the end? Yeah. So they mentioned that there's actu- it's actually happening again. The cheese stockpile has actually hit an all-time high. So that could mean that we could be seeing this again, government cheese 2.0. Wow. Wow. Well, 
I bet you actually if, they, if we did have that, Lisa Seppi and her folks might actually carry it. They may carry it now, for all I know, at the cheese shop on the West Side Market. They do have, I think, about 200 kinds of cheeses. And uh, Lisa and the folks that work there can steer you to whatever you might to figure out what you want. You want to do cheese plate. You want to find the best for mac and cheese. Uh, these are the people to talk to. So here's a conversation that we sat down recently and uh, heard from Lisa. Here's what she had to say. We are sitting now with Lisa Seppi, who is the manager of the cheese shop at the West Side Market. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, it's great being here today. And I'm, I have a sense that we are talking about something that you like to talk about. <laughs> it's kind of something I live, so yeah. 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 Uh, tell us, so for people that maybe haven't been to the West Side Market to see your fabulous cheese stand, tell us about it. Okay, we are the cheese shop located inside Cleveland's historic West Side Market. Um, there are four cheese shops total inside the West Side Market, um, but ours is called the Cheese Shop. Um, and we sell cheeses from all over the world. Uh, last count was about 200 different cheeses in our stand. Um, some are made right here in the city of Cleveland. Right. Uh, some of them come from all over the world. Uh, it just depends on what it is and who makes it, where it comes from. So you aren't really, you're not cheese collectors, and this isn't a cheese museum. Not how do all. you know how to select that many cheeses and not just have, you know, a pile of cheddar and some Parmesan? <laughs> That's what? a great question. We try and kind of keep it mixed up. Um Yes, we've got deli-type cheeses, absolutely. Um, you know, we're not cheese snobs by any stretch at all. We do try and keep it um, varied. We want to bring in stuff that maybe you can't find uh, at every every other every other place. Um, we've got sheep's milk cheese. We've got goat's milk cheese. We've got cheddars and breeze and blues. We've got probably the finest selection of blue cheese in the city. We've got about 25 different blue cheeses, and they're all different. Every one of them. Um, we, we want to kind of touch base all across the board when it comes to cheese. So is it safe to say that because it's what you do, that that's what you have the space for? And there are so many, just like wine or other you know, exotic products, there's a lot to, to reach for, to make available. And do you find that people fall into buying maybe 25% of what you have and, and the rest is, is available? Or do you wind up going through 60 or 70% of what you carry? Do you know, you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, we there's, there's certain cheeses that are going to outsell others, um, certainly, but that goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think the... One of the biggest things we like to do is to turn people on to cheeses that they haven't tried before. If somebody comes to me and says, well, I always buy cheddars or I always buy Swiss or I always buy brie, um, yeah, we can accommodate that. But the biggest part of what we try and do is to expand their horizons a little bit, get them to try something new. Um, We sample cheeses. Virtually all of our cheeses are available for sample. And uh, we like to do that. That's the fun part of the job is seeing that that little aha when somebody tastes something and you see it in their eyes and you see it in their face and it's it that's that's fun that's the best part. So, did you uh, have an ambition growing up that you wanted to run a cheese <laughs> shop? How did you how did you find yourself behind the counter? Um, well, there's a bit of a story involved in that. Um, uh, I started as a line cook. 
um, worked in some restaurants around town, worked, became a chef. Um, and I happened to be shopping one day. I was between jobs at the time, and I was shopping one day down at the West Side Market uh, and ran into a, a friend of mine who owns one of the stands down there, and he was talking to someone. I didn't want to interrupt, so I kept walking, and I stopped myself and said, no, turn around, go back. And I did, and he introduced me to his friend, who is Dion Sevdos, who owns the cheese shop. Aha. Um, <laughs> and I just was talking and said, you know, yeah, I'm kind of between jobs right now, looking for something. And Dion said, well, dot, dot, dot. That was almost 12 years ago. Wow. So <laughs> here I am. You're making some cheddar, sounds like. <laughs> Pardon the pun. I have a ton of cheesy jokes, by the way, that I've just been saving for this of particular episode. Do. I'll just drop them along the way. I'm sorry. Just apologize in advance. Um, so... Uh, you mentioned when we were talking before we started rolling on the program that not only do you sell to customers that come in, but also to restaurants in town. Yes, yes. How, 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 what's that like? Well, it's fun. Uh, we have a wholesale side to our company. Um, so we do distribute to, you name a restaurant, more than likely they're buying from us. Um, so th- that's fun too. I get chefs and uh, salespeople coming in um to the stand to sample new cheeses you know i understand what they're going what they're doing because you got to change your menu up you can't have the same menu constantly you change it up seasonally sometimes weekly sometimes yearly depends on the restaurant and what they're going through and this way they can come to to my stand and sample what we've got as a company available to them um and it's fun we can interact with them and again because i have that restaurant background i i have a good understanding of what it is they're looking for. What are some of the local cheese, uh, what is the right term for some of the mixed cheese? Uh, cheese makers. Cheese, cheese maker. I'm a cheesemonger. Okay, that was what I was going to ask, but go. I knew because like a fishmonger <laughs> isn't making the fish. Or <laughs> but right, so right. I, So a che- you're selling, of course, cheesemonger. I'm a cheesemonger, cheese I'm a, um, yes. So who are some of the local, I guess I really hadn't thought about, who, who are some of the local cheese companies and what kind of cheese are they making? Uh, well, we are the flagship store for the Lake Erie Creamery, uh, which is located right here in the city of Cleveland. He does primarily goat cheeses. He does do some cow's milk cheeses, but uh, all of his milks are locally sourced. They're all Ohio product, uh, which is awesome. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, there's some regional uh, cheeses that we carry. The Coco Borrego Creamery is uh, here in Ohio. Uh Old Brooklyn did a collaboration, the Old Brooklyn Cheese Company. They have their own little shop in Old Brooklyn. Uh, they did a collaboration with Lake Erie Creamery. We've carried their products. Uh, there's a company called Black Radish Creamery. Uh, they also do uh, jams and jellies, and we carry some of their product lines. Um, so, And it, some of it is seasonal. It depends on the time of year, um, when certain things are available and when they're not available. So... Okay, uh, that's good. Good to know. And, and the type of um, pollens and there there are ways that regions can affect cheeses. This is maybe a little deeper yeah, question. Absolutely. First, of like absolutely. Okay, I think you know French cheese. Oh, everybody thinks about French cheese, right? Um, well, what makes the French cheese better than Cleveland cheese? Or they're just different because of everything that makes up the milk that then goes into the cheese. Absolutely. Um, first thing is that. Countries don't have a flavor. 
<laughs> okay, I buy that. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. However, what the what the animals are eating in a region absolutely affects the flavor of the milk, which of course is going to impact the flavor of the cheese. Um, you can take the same cow and put it in two different counties in Ohio, and the milk is going to have some subtle differences in it based on what the animal is eating. Um, so there are certain cheeses that are uh, only made in the Alps because the altitude affects the, the milk, the flavor of the milk. There are certain cheeses that can only be made from milk harvested during certain times of the year because of what, the, what they're eating. Um, the history of cheesemaking goes back centuries and centuries. Um, one of the oldest food sources known to man. Um, and the, the deep history of cheese is, is that it's passed down from generation to generation. Um, and there's a great deal of pride that goes along with these handcrafted items. So there are, in certain, in certain cheeses, there are very strict standards on how and when that cheese can be made. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And th- those are national or Ohio yes. law? International. International. Oh, international. international. Oh, wow. So uh, Parmesan cheese is a great example. Parmesan can be that stuff in a can on the shelf, or it can be in your local supermarket. But to be called Parmigiano Reggiano, it has to come from Italy. It has to be made by very strict standards. So... That's one example. There's a there's a whole host of cheeses uh, that have it's basically an international trademark. It's a stamp that they apply to certain cheeses, mm-hmm. AOP or DOP type listings. And what that means is it can only come from that region, and it can only be made by very strict protocol. So, is there a Parmesan Ashtabula? <laughs> no, I'm sure that somebody Someone could be making it. Okay. There's no, yeah, but that's not kind of how that might. But you work. can't market it as a Parmigiano Reggiano because it's not from Italy. And it's it. not made by those certain breeds of animals. So, people love cheese. People just love cheese. Now there are, of course, some folks that have digestive, you know, concerns, and maybe they used to love cheese, and now they can't love cheese as much as they did. So, um, setting that concept aside. Mm-hmm. What is it that is almost addictive to to some people for cheese that they crave it and why do you think that is? Well, I would have to say, I mean, what's the first thing that all of us eat? Grilled cheese? <laughs> is when we're babies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Milk. Okay. Cheese comes from milk. Yeah. So it's huh. just part of our our almost entire primal exactly makeup. exactly yeah so yeah okay um you know uh cheese actually the, the, the origin of cheese is pretty interesting because there's not a marker somewhere on this planet that says this is where cheese started there's not one town one place that says this is it um you know back in the olden days way olden days when they used to use every part of an animal um <clears throat> stomachs were often used for transporting liquid because you would take the animal's stomach, oh. you would tie off the bottom of it, you have an opening at the top, you could tie off the top of it, and you could transport your liquid. Yeah. You didn't waste any part of an animal. Um, and they found that if you put milk in the, in the stomach and get on your horse and go riding across the plains um, or the mountains, uh, you get to the other side and they'd be like, what happened to the milk? It's gone. Uh, there's this weird kind of 
gelatinous kind of thing in here. Um, and that's how cheese started. Wow. Yeah. Huh. I, I have not. I mean, I thought a lot about cheese. I don't think I've thought to that the level. The reason for but... that is is there's there's a there's an enzyme. It's called rennet. That's in the huh. in the okay. lining of an animal's stomach. That getting all sciency here, but that that combines with the milk to coagulate the the milk and turn it into the start of cheese. Wow. So wow. You can okay. make cheese at home. It's very simple. But there's a million one variables um, once you make the basic cheese. Wow. That's the fun part of it. Well, people might be intimidated by the by the volume, by the options. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I would come to the stand, let's say, and if I, I was going to maybe make a raclette. Okay. And so it's a pretty unique, specific, hard cheese and not something you know that you'll find if you pop into any grocery store, this, in my experience. So this would be a great, oh, I'll go to the cheese stand mm-hmm. at the Westside Market. I'm fairly certain that you'd have it and we could have a great raclette discussion. But there's, what, 99 other or 199 other, you know, cheeses that, that you would have there. And I think people maybe don't know how to go about choosing cheeses and we'll use an example of like let's say you're going to have a cheese board or a meat and cheese board which um, you mentioned before that like nine out of ten people the morning that i first met you you were saying people come in that's one of the things that they're looking for here right i would think okay like i probably need a goat cheese and maybe a cheddar and then a hard cheese like and Schwego, but then I'm and a blue cheese and i'm kind of lost at right, that point. What, right so two kind of questions what is the basic concept of a good layout and then do you have some thoughts that might like examples that people absolutely. might go off of? um absolutely and uh just to to really confuse the issues that there are no rules <laughs> but that's good no no that's good that's good um yeah we do get people daily coming in and they've got that that face of just fear going <laughs> I have to make a cheese board and I don't know what to do um, and that's our job that's our job is to help help walk you through and find what you like um, that's the crucial part is you know eat what you like you know um, so yeah you can do a cheese board with a theme you can do all Italian cheeses or all French cheeses you could do all goat's milk you could do all sheep's milk uh, you can do the, you know, you can do a brie and a cheddar and a blue and and a semi saw. You can do something like that. But um, you know, I typically my questions will be: Are how many people are coming, and is there any particular beverage that's being poured? Um, and we're not just limited to red and white wines anymore. You know, there's a lot of other stuff out there, uh, and and that gives that gives me an idea. Uh, where to kind of take them in. Because some, some cheeses are going to be better with other beverages, be it red wine, white wine, and depending on the type of red or white. Uh, if it's a beer, if it's an ale or porter, if you're doing uh, teas, if you're doing you know non, non-alcoholic beverages, there's a whole host of combos that you can do. And again, it really comes down to what the customer wants. There's no right and wrongs. Nobody's grading anybody on any of this. Um, there's no fails. It's you know, it's what you like. That's well, the important part. That's and I, I guess a good way to learn what you like would be to experiment. Absolutely, absolutely. And we, as I said, we give samples. Um, you know, I might steer you away from one and into another just because 
you know, the flavor contrast might be better, or maybe these two cheeses are a little too similar, so maybe you want a little a little different uh, flavor texture going on or uh, uh, type of milk going on. Um, but that just depends on the individual and and how adventuresome their crew is, too. Sometimes you get people that say, yeah, I've got a whole bunch, and they're willing to try anything. Um, and then sometimes you get people that say, well, you know, I'm going to have... Uh, a bunch of little kids and some, you know, aunts and uncles that aren't too aren't too hip to fancy stuff. I'm like, that's fine. We've got we've got you covered. I'm thinking of is it um, well, baked brie is kind of a thing. I'm thinking right. of now heated heated cheeses or warmed cheeses. If you right. wanted to have one of those camembert, you also is it possible yeah, to heat well, camembert? Well, you know, yes, you can. Uh, you don't have to. That was a rumor started back in the 70s. <laughs> you don't have to bake a brie. You can. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but all cheeses are best at room temperature. Uh, we like to, you know, give that to everybody. Is You know, let your cheese warm up a little bit. Um, unless you've got some really big piece of cheese um, where you really need to plan some time for it. What I tell everybody, take your cheese out of the fridge first. Then go get the napkins and the plates, get the wine out of the fridge, go find some music, light the candles, uh, you know, get the crackers, get the meats, whatever, everything else that you're putting with your cheeses. By the time you do all of that, the cheese is warmed up enough and you're in a good place. You know, a good 20 minutes is, is kind of a standard for most people. Brie, I think, was something for a while I was sneaking into sandwiches just to change oh, it up because yeah, it's absolutely. not, it's a little unexpected. And I thought that was always kind of fun, but I'm not, you know, I'm not always buying a brie, but right. there's, there, there are ways. Um, I, my brother in law was fond of saying there are three things that you can add to a, a dish to make it more interesting. It was cheese, chocolate, and like cinnamon or something like that. Like just ways that you can change up dishes. Sure. Um, what is, what does cheese bring to a dish, do you think? Well, I, I think depending on the kind of cheese that it is, it can bring a richness when you're talking about things like breeze that you just don't get with mayonnaise or butter. You know, there's a there's a, a, a textural thing. Um, um, cheese can be very sexy in terms of mouthfeel and flavor. I mean, it, it, the look of it, um, the texture of it, the flavors, um, you know, something unexpected, something... You can put sriracha sauce on burgers and steaks and things like that, too. But uh, cheese brings that other element if you've got a spicy cheese. Um, Again, that richness of the milk fat in there. Um, Sheep's milk, goat's milk, cow's milk, they're all going to have different flavors. Um, There's... It's just something really unique about cheese. Because it's such a base food, I think it's, it's... Like you said earlier, I think everybody likes cheese. It, in some form or, or fashion, even people... I've never heard anybody that's kind of ambivalent about, about cheese. <laughs> no, you know, like I agree. Everybody, you know, in fact, I was wondering if you guys would call yourself cheese dealers yeah. instead of just a cheese shop because people go to get feed their Jones sometimes. I, I've been accused of being, yes, of being <laughs> the dealer, yes. <laughs> get them hooked and then keep them coming back. Um yeah, I mean, you know, little kids. That's, again, one of the first foods that most little kids get is a piece of cheese because everybody likes it. Um, and one thing I kind of wanted to mention, too, because you kind of talked about it earlier, was 
you know, there are people that have dietary restrictions regarding uh, certain cheeses. Um, if they're having issues with cow's milk, for example, uh, because of lactose issues, that's kind of a... Uh, not a trending thing, but it's, it's it's more common. I think more people are being diagnosed with right. it. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that sheep's milk and goat's milk cheeses have virtually no lactate, less than 1%, in fact. So if you're having lactose issues, there's a bunch of other stuff out there available to you. Um, and goat milk cheese isn't just that soft kind of creamy crumbly stuff yeah tell me a little bit more about that because that's of course the first thing comes to my mind and i always have i do always have goat cheese on hand and feta on hand just for whatever but it's never anything more exotic than that little you know ash covered tube yes yes, you know that kind of thing which is wonderful but that's just a type of goat cheese um the the one that most people think of is called chev and that's that kind of soft kind of crumbly stuff um but goat cheese is simply that cheese made from goat's milk so there's brie, there's blue, there's cheddar, there's firm, there's soft, there's mild, there's sharp. There's thousands of variables when it comes to goat milk cheese. Same with sheep's milk pe- cheese. Uh, a lot of people confuse the two and, and think that it, you know, does sheep's milk have a gamey flavor to it? Well, it doesn't. Actually, uh, goat's milk cheese doesn't have a gamey flavor, yeah. but sheep's yeah. milk cheese actually will have kind of a subtle f- sweetness to it. Um, sheep's milk has a subtle sweetness to it, and that's the makeup of the milk. Hmm. Um, but I'd say that more people have had sheep's milk cheese than they realize simply because they didn't realize that what they're calling it. Uh, if you've ever had Roquefort, for oh, yes. Okay, oh, classic yes. French blue cheese. Uh-huh. That's sheep's milk cheese. Never knew that. There you go. Never. Uh, Pecorino Romano. Mm-hmm. Very, very. Uh, uh, common grating type cheese for on top of pastas or whatever. Uh, pecorino is simply the Italian word for sheep. Wow. So anytime you see the word pecorino, that just means that it's huh. a sheep's milk cheese. Huh. So there's lots I, of options. Yeah, out there. Now, and, and actually, what about um, what about nut cheese? I've, I'm, I'm, there's another podcaster who has a rich role, mm-hmm. has a great podcast about like a lot of sports things. Yeah. His wife put out a book last year, I think that was a, the really complex list of nut cheeses. And I, I, I probably have had one along the way, but not really consciously. But it did get me thinking, I wouldn't mind trying something like that to see. Right. And, and I, is this, is that something that you are familiar with? I'm familiar mm-hmm. with, um, those are the non-dairy cheeses. Uh, we don't carry those. Mm-hmm. We carry all of our cheeses, our dairy products. Uh, there uh, is another vendor at the market that carries those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to remind everybody, too, that, there are, again, there are three other cheese shops, actually four. There's a little shop there that also carries a nice uh, import selection of cheeses. Um, I don't don't want to leave everybody out on that one, but yes. uh, um, we don't really carry any of the non dairy non dairy. It's as it is. I mean, people people's eyes do glaze over when they look at all of the cheeses in our case and go, oh, "Where do I start?" Yeah. And I look at it and go, ah, "There's like 50 other ones I wish we carried." Sure. <laughs> so, sure. But it's simply a, a space limitation. You know, we've only got X amount of square footage that we can, you know, put cheese in. And and uh, to be honest, I mean, you can jam them all in there. I could probably get another fifty cheeses, but then it would be 
impossible to see them. You know, you, you just get too much. It's too overwhelming. Is there a uh, lifespan of a wheel of cheese that's typical, or are they all fragile in their They're unique little ra- ways? They're yeah. all different. Yeah. Um, some cheeses are made just to last for a few, you know, days. Uh, some cheeses. Wait, what? Really? Yeah. yeah. When you're talking about things like uh, the fresh mozzarellas or the real fresh cheeses, they're really only designed to survive for, you know, a couple of weeks tops, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Um, but then there's plenty of aged cheeses that, you know, will age for years. The oldest one I have right now is a seven year old cheddar. There are others out there that are aged more than that. Um, but just because the cheese is older doesn't mean it's going to be better or sharper or more, or it just means that it's an older cheese. I may have a five-year-old Velveeta in my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, Velveetas have half-lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it is a real cheese, and I don't want to knock any recipes out there with the holidays coming that people may have with Velveeta. It's, it's, a, it's used a lot for cooking, but it's not an actual cheese it's a it's a processed american cheese food product right that's yes that's that's an excellent way to put it well that's how Um, it is does american cheese the way we think of it for like a slice craft american singles goes on top of a burger does that come in a in a slab or could you get a yeah we 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 actually sell we sell that style of cheese in, in at our stand absolutely and yeah we slice it to order um, it's a deli style. Um, you can get it the pre-wrapped pre-thing that I think all of us ate at one point or another in our childhood um, or adulthood. Um, and the reason it is so popular is because it it survives relatively well in a lot of different climates. <laughs> right. Well, I so well, uh, two things just came to mind simultaneously. One is um, that kind of cheese slice of bread or two butter now people say mayonnaise on it you know you can make a grilled cheese there are ways to go bananas with grilled cheese like adding jelly and all these other kind of things would you have any kind of grilled cheese that you like to make (sighs) yeah (laughs) my personal i love rye bread uh i i'm a big fan we have a roasted garlic cheddar uh that we sell at the stand that's made in upstate new york um, and it's a deli cheese, and it melts beautifully. It's not too cheddary of a cheddar. It melts great. It's got the roasted garlic in it. Um, and it, in my opinion, makes the best damn grilled cheese sandwich you've ever had. Um, I like mine on rye. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> that is a great idea. And I, it's, it's a great universal cheese. Um, I've got one gal she buys it puts it on a lasagna. Oh, that's for an clever. extra level. Yeah. Wow. Extra level of flavor. Because again, it's not a super cheddary flavor on it, but uh, boy, it's really versatile. Um, one thing that's making this is the second thing I was thinking. One thing making a comeback: <laughs> fondue. Fondue. Now, if you've never had the pleasure of sitting around a fondue <laughs> pot with your friends, you don't know what you're missing because it actually is. There's something communal about it, and it's Absolutely. a lot of fun. If you can, give me uh, you know, a minute on what would make a good fondue party. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, fondue is fun. And it has been making, the last couple of years, it has been making a big a big uh, comeback. Um, you can get the little fondue pots just about everywhere nowadays. Um, and that's, again, one thing. You don't really need um, a set recipe. Certain cheeses are certainly going to melt better than others. Um, so th- 
I like to recommend to people, start with something like a fondue, or a fondue, a, a, a fontina. It's a very basic kind of uh, mild white cheese. Edam, uh, red wax gouda, those types of cheeses melt very well. And then you can add your flavors on top of that. Uh, some of the classics are things like Emmentaler, Appenzeller, uh, Gruyere, but there's absolutely no reason you can't throw in blue cheese. You can throw in some of the spicy cheeses if you want to do, uh, you know, something like that. A little, a little beer or wine in your fondue adds a great flavor. Um, there's again no, nothing hard and fast in terms of rules when it comes to cheese. That's I think what makes it. Fun. Cheese is freedom. That's what you're saying. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, my my takeaway to everyone, and this has kind of become my tagline, is, um, you know, forget what mom said. Play with your food. That's great. Thanks. That's really good. Okay. You know, I mean, we, we all get locked into doing the same thing over and over and over, myself included. I mean, it's easy to just reach for the same five items in the supermarket or the store or whatever and to come up with the same five recipes. Okay, it's meatloaf, it's, you know, Tuesday, it's, you know, Thursday we're having turkey. I mean, you know, it, it's it's easy to do that. But uh, it's it's fun to step outside of the lines a little bit and, and play with your food. Try something you haven't tried before. That's... For me, the most fun, when I get a customer that comes back to me and we're crazy busy and I see them popping their head over the other customers and say, just wanted to tell you, I tried that last week and the family loved it. That, to me, that puts a big, big smile on my face. I love hearing people coming back and saying, you know, Aunt Sophie fell in love with this or I never tried that before and everybody, you know, went bananas for it. That means I'm doing my job. The benefits of befriending a cheesemonger, you know, it's, Absolutely. it's, it's great. It's a gr- I think a great probably relationship and some people may be intimidated by the number of cheese or just the, can you be friendly with the person behind the counter? But I think what you're saying is you want to help make the experience as amazing as possible for Absolutely. The Absolutely. Don't be afraid to ask me questions. I'm going to ask you questions. What do you like? Do you like firm or soft? Do you like mild or sharp? Um, you know, is blue cheese okay? You know, I'm going to ask you some questions to kind of help me winnow down what it is we're going to find for you that's going to that's going to hit the nail on the head for you. That's that's the fun. That's the challenge. That's what keeps it interesting. Because face it, you know, we've all got our own set of taste buds. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yes. Because I can tell you this: if we all had the same set of taste buds, I would have six cheeses in my case. That is totally, I, I see what you mean. There would be one blue cheese. There yeah. would be one cheddar. There would be one brie. Um, so that's the fun part is finding out what is special for each individual. That's the fun part. I will uh, always on this podcast try to steer people to the West Side Market. If you're interested in food and you want to, you know, go shopping, you can, of course, hit a grocery store. But the West Side Market is so special it's amazing um how long have you been there 12 years almost 12 years now um i'm not a native clevelander i grew up uh, outside detroit michigan and uh i came here when i was 16 and one of the first places that i visited uh, the family i was staying with took me to the west side market and i fell in love with it straight away um i was amazed at what i was seeing um 
so I was a regular shopper there all the time. I have my own relationships with vendors there from when I shopped at their stands, you know, way wow. back. Wow. Um, so when I hear locals say, oh, my gosh, I haven't been here since fourth grade, it makes me want to cry. Uh, I think... I think when something's in your own backyard, you take it for granted. And I, I think that a lot of people don't realize how unique the West Side Market is. Um, you know, every city doesn't have a West Side Market. Not by a long shot. Not by a long shot. Yeah, there's some similar markets up in Seattle or in Toronto or like that. But our market is special and unique. And um, I have said this before, and... I don't have it authenticated or anything like that, but I really think that the West Side Market is a big reason why the Cleveland food scene is the way it is. Because you go down there and you see things you've never seen before in your life. You hear languages you've never heard before. Um, Every city's got their little Italian section of town, and, and maybe this is where all the you know, Polish folks live or the Slovenians live here or the Germans are there. You know, every city's got their little neighborhoods. But the West Side Market is is like this huge pot of all of that. You know, there's Greek and there's German and there's French and there's Italian. There's and all of this. Rubbing elbows, rubbing elbows all over, yeah. And, and you know, maybe you grew up eating beef tongue and you can get it there. Maybe you've never seen a beef tongue. You can get it there. That's the awesome part of it. Um, and th- that's why it's such a treasure. And it it's, saddens me when I hear people say that they just come down over the holidays or, you know, twice a year we come down. You know, make it a regular stop. It's, oh, I, I totally agree. I, even with their, it's two days a week that it's closed, right? Just Tuesday, Thursday. Tuesdays and Thursdays were closed. Um, and yeah, Sundays, we started doing that a couple of years ago and it's proven to be a, a, a big success. Uh, we're open 10 to four on Sundays. Um, and you know, the market's 106 years old, which is awesome. Um, and you know, the dynamics of the city of, of people's lives have changed over the years. And that's one thing that the market is looking at right now. Um, there is the talk of perhaps changing out some of the hours that were open to make the market more accessible to people. Um, you know, 100 years ago, mom did the cooking and the cleaning and the shopping. Um, but nowadays, mom's working 9 to 5, same as dad. So, uh, you know, I think as the market grows and evolves, we will become more um, accommodating to our customers. Are, are there infrastructure issues, do you think, within the West Side Market that could be addressed or the equipment that's there, or the condition you know, the, of the building? We actually have been going through a big amount of that right now, and that's um, a lot of the times the public don't, they don't see that, right? right? And they're not going to. Right. You know, if, they're, if, you, if you're getting, you know, plumbing redone, you, you know, your neighbors don't know about it. Uh, it's, you know. <laughs> right. So we've been getting, we did get some money from the city. There's a lot of that kind of work going on. Uh, You know, some elevators that are getting worked on. Um, You know, like I said, there's some wiring and some plumbing issues that were being addressed. Um, So all of that's been going on. Of course, the parking lot finally got redone. And and that was a big, that was a big thing because that had to be rewired and, and had to add new drainage and all that kind of stuff. We gained 
about 100 new parking spots with the change-up oh. of the parking, yes. Um, and I want to remind everybody that parking is free for an hour and a half, um, and then it's only a dollar an hour after that. So that's cheap. <laughs> yeah, you're not paying $5, $10, $20. You might be no. downtown because you're not in downtown. We're not downtown. We're not downtown. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of get freaked out. They think about downtown parking because, yeah, downtown parking can be pretty pricey depending on where you're at. But um, we've got a lot right behind the West Side Market. And as I said, it's free for an hour and a half. After that, it's a dollar an hour. And on the weekends, the city of Cleveland is not charged on the meters. So there's plenty of street side parking available around the West Side Market if you don't mind walking a block or two. Um, and that's, that's easy. Oh, there's a lot going on on 25th. Oh, I mean, that's cow. a great area. Yeah, the, the whole neighborhood is just, you know, I've, as a shopper and as somebody that's been working there all these years, seeing the neighborhood evolve has been really remarkable. Um, you know, it used to be kind of scary very long time ago when I first started shopping down there and now it's vibrant and and that's partly why some of the parking has become an issue because the neighborhood's vibrant now. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to stop and talk with us today and I do hope that people come by Say hi, get to know you, start talking cheese with you. I know I'll be back in and we'll be talking about cheese I again hope soon. So. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not the only one there. I've got some great uh, co workers with me. And uh, any one of us, you know, if we can't answer your question, we're going to find someone. If we don't have the cheese you're looking for, odds are pretty good that somebody else in that building does and we're going to direct you to them. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we like to do. That's a very charming aspect, I think, of the West Side Market, is there's not tons of competition. It's actually very, there's a lot of camaraderie. Absolutely, because, face it, nobody can be everything to every every customer. Um, as I said earlier, uh, you know, there's a stand that it caters more to the vegan crowd. Um, so when somebody's looking for a, for a nut type of cheese, I'm going to send them down to her stand um, because she's got that stuff. I'm not going to tell them, no, we don't carry it and leave it at that. You know, We want our customers to walk away happy and satisfied and, and visit other vendors. Go see what, what else is available inside the West Side Market. Well, Lisa, you're, you're I think, our audience's new favorite cheese dealer. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you again. I appreciate it. And we will, we'll be back in touch with you soon, I'm sure. Thanks. It's been a blast. So that was our conversation with Lisa Seppi over at the Cheese Shop. Find them over at the West Side Market. So I've learned so much about cheese from listening to this conversation, and I still feel like I'm left with a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, just because I feel like cheese is so very trial and error, and maybe there really aren't any wrong answers. You know, you can get experimental with cheese. For example, I made mac and cheese a few weeks ago for a Friendsgiving party, and I had no idea what kind of cheese to use. I knew that I didn't want to use Velveeta. Yeah. I didn't want people to look down on me. Yeah. Well, uh... not that there's anything wrong with Velveeta. I mean, I grew up eating Velveeta yeah. a lot, and I remember it fondly. Very salty, kind of a plastic look to it, <laughs> but I remember it fondly. Um, so I think I settled on a mild cheddar and a smoked Gouda. And I knew that those were good melting cheeses, so they would create a good cheese sauce for a mac and cheese. What I didn't think about was the smoked Gouda kind of, the smokiness kind of overpowered my mac and cheese. I still got good rave reviews about it, though people might have just been polite. But 
um, there is still so much to learn, but it is fun to just kind of try different different cheeses. What did you do with the rind on the smoked Gouda? Did you include that or did you carve it off? Nope, I, I just hand grated it all. Whoa. Wow. Well, that mac and cheese, I think, is one of the most popular things people do with cheese. And um, I do, what about blue cheese? Are you a fan of blue cheese? I don't mind it. I like, you know, I like a blue cheese, you know, sauce on my wings. And I like it in, like, on a salad or in, in smaller amounts. But I, I do think that my cheese tastes are a little bit um, less risky, yeah. We'll say, you know, I like a mozzarella. I think pepper jack is my all-time favorite cheese. Uh-huh. But I like a Gouda, Gruyere. You know, I got a um one of those food food boxes for uh, I did a trial for a month, you know, Blue Apron, one of those kind of things. And they had a thing I'd never made before. It's called halloumi. Have you ever I've heard had halloumi? That? It's it's fascinating and I if they didn't have instructions, I wouldn't have known what to do, but you kind of like fry it up like almost like bacon and it is fantastic. It was a it was kind of a neat discovery. So uh, there's a, there is a world of cheese, and a world I think both you and I can agree there. We're barely wading into it with the basic cheeses that we know, and I, I do want to know more. I want to know more, and I definitely want to try more. Well, if you have thoughts on cheese that you think that we should know, please enlighten us. Send us an email, or uh, you can reach us on social media on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Cano Spaghetti. And I'm at 7th Inning Stuff on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more Matter of Taste.